We're looking at Mark chapter number 14, if you would, with me. Verse number 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. In this time of the scripture, you should be knowing what's going on. It's about, it's right before the crucifixion. Let's go to the book of Romans in chapter number 8. And read verse number 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter number 4, we'll read verse number 6, if you would, with me. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. I don't know, I hope you picked up what we're looking at tonight because these are the only three places in the scripture that you'll find this phrase, Abba, Father. All three of them are in the New Testament, of course, what we just read. And uh, this is the only three places. I got to looking at that. It's a Jewish phrase. It's a, a two-word phrase, but it's packed with meaning, and I feel that we should investigate this just a little bit further. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, would you use me and glorify yourself? We love you. Thank you for your goodness, and I pray that you would help us to open the Scripture and we'd learn something from the Word of God, and you'd touch our heart. And we'll thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I am a father. One commentator made this mean, gave this meaning to that phrase, Abba Father. My Lord and my Father. If you were to translate it, just literally translate it, it would be Father, Father. Is what it would be translated. Years ago on a flight from somewhere to somewhere, because I don't remember where I was going or where I was coming from, to be honest with you. I don't remember the details about that, but one thing I do remember is when I was on that airplane sitting about two rows behind me or, or two rows in front, I can't remember. Uh, I think it was just a little bit behind me. Was a family, a Jewish man and a young boy, about seven or eight, and, a, and his daughter. And uh, the fact I know that they were Jewish, I... I I picked up on the little beanie that they wear on their head or whatever you call it. Uh, it's called a kippah, really, but that's, that's not what uh, I call it, a little beanie, I don't know. And uh, it's worn out of respect for God, really is why it's worn. And it's, uh, it's because heaven is above us, and that's where God lives, and that separates them between God and themselves. And it's an acknowledgement, really and truly is, of their sinfulness, and how that they can't be right next to God because of the situation that they're in. But as I watched this family, I was intrigued. I'm intrigued by anybody that's got enough gump in them or enough faith in what they believe that they will 
portray it before everybody that they can pick it out and see it. Now, I don't like the Hare Krishna bunch, but I do think it's pretty smart that they'll wear their bed sheets and they don't care if you like it or if you don't, or they shave their head and their little ponytail, whichever ones it is. And I don't mind the, I, don't, I think it's pretty good that even that the Mormons will wear their shirts and ties and black ties and they'll go around uh, propagating their cult. And, uh, but uh, they have enough, I don't know, respect for what they're doing that they carry their uh, testimony that you can see who they are on the outside. And I, I have respect for that. And as I looked at this man, it intrigued me. I got to watching. And uh, I noticed when the meal came that their meal was different than my meal because their meal was kosher. And that means it, it uh, went by the laws of the Jewish uh, diet. And uh, they didn't eat the same thing we are. And that's one thing I thank the Lord that I'm not a Jew because I sure do like ham, you know. And uh, <laughs> I watched them and, uh, as they got their kosher meal. But as I also watched them, they did something that was really unique for me on an airplane. The daddy of the bunch, he gets out and he puts a little shawl over his head and he turns thanks standing up before God doing his little rocking and thanking the Lord for the meal and then they sat down and ate. And I got to watching them even further and closer because that really intrigued me. And the little boy, I kept listening and hearing and finally I caught what he was saying. He was calling his daddy Abba. And I thought, well, how about that? And really and truly, as I've studied that word, there's no English word with the adequate that adequately conveys the Arabic word Abba. Uh, the word expresses a closeness and an intimacy with one another. But it's really reserved only for the relationship between a, a father and a child and one of their children. Our King James Bible, we find it three times. And three times I've read for you this. The first time's in the book of Mark in chapter 14. And we'll look at this. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. I want you to see about three things here. First of all, I want you to see the necessity of his father in his finality. Our blessed Lord uh, leaves eight of his disciples in one place and carries the, the intimate, or you could say the inner circle disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, and uh, goes up and, uh, to pray. Now, Peter and James and John have experienced some great things with God. You see, they were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter, of course, made the famous statement, uh, let us build three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elias. When he really, and the Lord had to speak and said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. But Peter had a chance uh, to do something. And when Peter gets excited, he always says the wrong thing. You just watch him go and read, read about Peter through the scripture. And Peter had about a size nine and a half or ten mouth because he kept sticking his foot in it. And I relate to that because I have the same problem. But these three were the same ones that were privileged to see him in Gethsemane uh, in his agony also. 
But the plan of, of redemption of God and all mankind is in progress here, and the hardest part of it is about to take place. He bids these three men to follow him, and he commands his, uh, to, to speak to his heavenly Father, and as he does, he makes this statement. Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. As I see this, I see first of all that there is a sweetness in his prayer. He calls him, he said, Abba, Father. I want you to know there are times when everything on earth seems to fade away in the life of a child of God. And what's present is just them and the Lord. And when it comes that time, it is a sweet time when you forget about the problems and cares of this life and for a few moments you just take time, just you and the Lord, and the Lord blesses you and comes in and speaks just to you. And this is one of the things that's happening here. And this relationship to God really matters in our life. There have been times in my life where I can think back in my memory where I had some of these times when the things of this world just kind of lost their glitter to me and for a little while I spent some time with the Lord. Well, that's what's happening here in uh, this passage of Scripture. Loved ones and friends and family and everything just kind of falls away and you center your heart and your mind on your relationship between you and God. Here's the time we find our blessed Lord in that situation. He's facing something that really bothers him. You say, does it scare him? I don't believe it scares him, but it really bothers him. You say, well, what is it? Well, let me give you some thoughts. I don't believe it's that he feared the pain of the cat of nine tails. He knew that. You have to remember, he knows everything before it ever happens. God looks at time and sees everything, so he knows what's going to happen to him. I don't believe he feared the nails that the Roman soldiers were driving his hands and his feet. I don't believe he feared the spittle that was spit on him by the Roman soldiers and by those that mistreated him. I don't believe he feared the crown of thorns that would be pressed down upon his head as a matter of mockery. I don't believe he feared the agonizing uh, thirst that would uh, accompany every crucifixion as one of the problems of the thirst. I don't believe he feared death at all. I don't believe death bothered him at all because in Romans, I mean John chapter 10 and verse 18, you'll see the Bible says no man takes uh, it from me, but I have, I, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This is commandment have I received of my father. I don't believe that bothered him at all. I, I don't believe that bothered him. Well, you might say, well, preacher, what bothered him? I believe that the fact of the separation between him and God the Father that would be broken, that relationship, that Abba Father relationship that they had and have had for all eternity, I think that broke his heart. I think that was one of the things that bothered him more than anything else. Possibly all the only thing that really bothered him was the break, breakdown of that. You see, when Jesus came, was on the cross, he became sin for us. And I want you to know if there's one thing about God that you can always count on, and that is the fact that God is holy. And he'll not look on sin. He won't look on your sin. He won't look on my sin. It don't matter what age we are. It don't matter how long we've tried to live for him. He will not accept it. And when Jesus became sin for us, you know exactly what God did. He pulled down the curtains and turned his back 
on light and turned his back on God. And Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I believe that was the thing that made him pray and ask the Father, if there's any other way to take this cup from me, not my will but thine be done. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody had to pay for my sin. Somebody had to pay for mine. And he's talking to his father. And he's talking to him with that sweet fellowship and that sweet relationship when he says, Abba, Father. And there's a statement in his prayer. Look what he said here back in verse number 36. He says, All things are possible unto you, unto thee. Our Lord is in intimate conversation with the Heavenly Father. But is that personal that personal pleading, that personal, I guess you could say precious and uh, talking to the Lord as he prays. He said, all things, all things are possible unto thee. That made me think of a time years back now. It's been quite a number of years now. Valerie and Brent have been married for a number of years and got grandkids themselves. But I remember when Valerie and Brent, just that's my oldest daughter, just got married. Uh, Valerie had been married probably on just a, a few weeks and she called me and she said uh, Daddy how do you do and I can't remember what it was and I told her how to do it and it wasn't but a few days later and she calls me and she said Daddy how do you do this this and, and I told her and then it was maybe a week or so later she calls me back again and says Daddy I said wait a minute I thought you were married she said I am married I said, well, then you've got a man in your house. She said, oh, Daddy, he don't have to do nothing. I said, well, don't you call me anymore and ask me how to do anything. If he needs me, tell him to call me and let your husband be the man of your house instead of your daddy because I'm just daddy. That's all I am. But she called me because daddy is supposed to be able to do anything. Well, when the times are hard and scary, a child always looked to dad for help and protection. This is the prayer such as that that's going on here in chapter 14. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. The necessity of the Father in his finality. Secondly, I want to show you the nearness of the Father for the family. Romans chapter 8, it says in verse number 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption. This is a... Our pastor preached this the other day on, on uh, the twofold grip of salvation or security of salvation. It's a wonderful thing. And I agree completely with everything you said. But not only are we born into the family of God, but we're adopted in. And according to the laws of our land, one thing you can't do when you adopt a child, you cannot disinherit them. If, they're your, if you adopt them, they're yours, they're yours, they're yours. You can't disinherit them. Now, you may just leave them a dollar, but you can't disinherit them completely. It's impossible. Well, you see, we're not only born into the family of God, but we're adopted into the family of God. That's why I, I, have, I like to say, well, we're so saved, it's pathetic. I mean, we're adopted as sons, it says here, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The motiva- You know, see, sinners, they don't have that. They don't have that security. They don't have that relationship. Their relationship with God is God is demanding 
uh, justice for their sin. And if they don't accept the just reward or the just work of Jesus Christ on the cross in their place, then God will de demand that just payment for their sin upon themselves. That's why people are going to hell. God's done everything he can to keep them out of hell. All they've got to do is accept the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And if they don't, then they'll have to pay for it themselves. I hate to say that. The thought of hell, I wouldn't even throw a snake in hell. I'm scared of death snake. Amen. All of them are king cobras. Every one of them from that long, no matter. It doesn't matter. I was always scared of my kids, my grandkids down there in Florida. They've got up a little bit bigger now. I don't worry about them so bad. But they got them old boa constrictors everywhere down there in Florida now. Come in, not even supposed to be there. Sinners serve the, their God, and they sinner a lot of, uh, serve him a lot of times out of fear. Their fear of not being accepted by somebody else. Their fear of standing out and being separate, being different. They don't have the courage to stand up and be different. That's why a lot of young boys, a lot of young men, when they start to go into puberty, start to become young men, they want to talk like everybody else. And they'll get a vocabulary that's not proper. It's not right before God. They'll use vulgar words because everybody else does. You know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of, un of not being educated. I, I, have, I have to tell this. I'm glad Julie's not here. Julie comes home after her first year in college out at West Coast Baptist College. And she comes on and she's talking to me something. And she said, and Daddy, it was like this and like we went there. And like I said, so you really didn't, do, you didn't go there. It was just like you went there. She said, no, we went. I said, well, why are you saying like? You're saying like all the time, like, like, like. I said, it acts to me like. You can't talk without saying like. And I said, and I'm helping pay for an education, a college education, and I've got a college-educated uh, edu daughter right now. Are going to, going, it can't speak without like. She said, Daddy, just let me talk. I said, okay, go ahead and talk. So she told her story, and as she told her story, I counted. She said like 27 times. A lot of folks say it about being the, the people they're around. A lot of people talk like they do because of the people they're around. But if you associate yourself with the Lord and talk like a young man or a young woman ought to talk, you don't have to worry about them. They won't stay around you too long. Amen. You start talking right, walking right, spitting white. Amen. Lord will take care of that stuff. They miss a lot of things. Saints experience the freedom of being under the control of sin. We're not under the control of sin. We're free from that. One of these days, we're free from the power of sin. One of these days, bless the Lord, when he comes back, we'll be free from the presence of sin. I can't imagine. I'll be honest with you. I can't imagine what that'll be like. You say, preacher, you sin? Ashamed, but I do. Amen. I was preaching the other night in the jail, and I said, would there be anybody as obstinate enough to lift your hand and say you're not a sinner. No, nobody in the jail lifted their hand. Amen. I said I didn't lift mine either. Abba Father. They miss knowing the freedom of the control of sin. They miss knowing the freedom of the condemnation of sin. 
this relationship that a father and a son has, this Abba-Father relationship, can only be uh, uh, experienced by those in that relationship. If you're not in it, you don't know what it's like. If you don't have a father-son relationship with the Lord, you don't know what it's like. You stand on the outside and look. You even get criticized for that relationship. They call us holy rollers, Bible thumpers. Well, you're judging me. Because I live right, I'm judging you. No, you're judging yourself and coming up short. It's not me judging you. I haven't said a word. Amen. Amen. That's what, but what, goes the old saying, misery loves company. But the word adoption means to place. The Holy Ghost of God places the children of God into God's family. The preacher's been preaching about being placed into the body and the different parts of the body where we're uh, in the family of God with all the privileges and pleasures, I guess you could say, of being a family member of the Almighty God. We have the privilege, because we're adopted as sons, to use that phrase ourselves when we're talking to the Lord, Abba, Father. And he hears and answers us. The Christians serve God as adopted sons. But Christians uh, 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 follow and serve God as adoring sons. As I've said previously, the word Abba Father is a term reserved in that parent relationship, parent-child relationship. But look what it says. They cry, we cry, Abba Father. That word translated cry is the word chryzo, which means to cry loudly or to express, express deep emotions. Abba means to cry as a little helpless child would cry to his father for help. A cry impregnated with the deep feelings and the trust that can only come from the father and child relationship. My daughters are special to me. We have a different relationship than with my sons. Girls and guys just don't have the same relationship. My boys tend to gravitate toward their mother and my girls gravitate toward me. When we talk, we talk, they use the, my name. I remember a while back they were having to evacuate when they lived in Florida. They were having to evacuate Florida because a hurricane was coming in and, and uh, my youngest daughter called me, Julie, and she talked with me and she kept calling me by my name. And it wasn't free. She wasn't calling me that. Because uh, she don't call me dad either. My daughter calls me daddy. My sons and my sons-in-law call me dad, but not my daughters. My daughters call me daddy. It's just a relationship. Uh, that's that relationship, that Abba-Father relationship. That's how we, what we have with our Savior. We can run to him and cry, Abba-Father or daddy. And the closeness of that relationship gets his attention. When you run to God and call him by the right name, you're one of his children in the right relationship. You're in good shape. And we serve him as adoring sons and daughters in the Lord Jesus. We serve him as assured sons. Romans chapter number 8 verse number 16 says, The Spirit itself bear with us with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't it good to know you're a child of God? I'm telling you, there is a 
There is a relief. There's also a, a, a reward in knowing that I'm a child of God. It takes away fear. I remember before I got saved, I don't know about y'all, I scared death going to hell. I really, you say, you mean you believed in hell with all of my heart. And I still believe in hell with all of my, even though we don't hear much preaching about it, it's still there. And people are populating it every night, every day, every hour. And I was so afraid. But once I got saved, that situation changed. I had a sure, I didn't, I didn't go to bed worrying about dying anymore. I didn't have to have to worry about it. Because I had assurance of my salvation. The spirit that self bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse number 15, we've seen that sons cry to their father for assistance and they cry to their father because of assurance and they serve him as adopting adoring sons. He answers us as sons. With our spirit, he speaks to us. You see, our spirit bears witness or he bears witness with our spirit. This phrase, bear witness, means to join witness with or to associate with the same spirit. That's why we do. That's why we cry, Abba, Father. We have that. There's nothing in the Christian life that enables us, us to live for God more than having the assurance that we're adopted and we're adoring sons in the family of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. The right to be called son. What a beautiful family portrait. The nearness of the father in his family. The nearness of the father for the family. Let me give you the last point and I'll be through. The negotiation of the father for the family. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your heart, crying out a father. The word used here, crying, Abba Father, the word crying, is a very strong word. It's expressing deep emotion. You've had, you've had your children when they're growing up to get hurt. And one gets hurt and you can hear him, you can hear that cry a long while. Well. But when one gets really hurt, it's a complete different cry. When there's really a desperate situation, that's what he's talking about here. It's an exclamation of fear, of pain, such as you find when somebody's in danger of life and limb. It doesn't matter who's around. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. They call for help. This, this word crying has the, carries the connotation of two men in a death struggle, one with the other. And one of the two, when it's over with, one of the two will have lost his life. And it's where the, if, there's, if they're grunting and if they're hollering, if whatever, it matters not who hears. It doesn't matter if anybody likes it or not. The situation is terrible and they're crying. That's what it is when we cry, Abba, Father. We have that adoption of sons. We have that position that we can cry to our God in times of need when it's that bad and he hears us. There's neither pride nor shame in that and considered when we call on him like that. Have you ever been the time when you can't pray? I mean, you don't know what to say. 
You don't have a voice or, or even put your, with your vocabulary. You don't know how to, tr to transfer that thought, that, that feeling, that desire, that hurt or whatever it is in your heart. And, and, and you come before God and all you can say is, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Dear God. And that's, that is kind of this this privilege that we have because we're children of God. We have this privilege that we can come before him even if we don't know what to say because he's given us the spirit of adoption. The Holy Ghost of God lives in us. We don't even know what to pray for half the time. Romans talks about that, 8 verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself bear, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The relief in such of these truths that it, it sustains us to know that we can come before God and call on Him. He hears. And sometimes we don't even have to say His name. We don't even have to, we don't have to put our, in, in, into words a conversation. We don't just come before Him and He knows he hears. We have the Spirit of God with us. It makes our, ne our needs known before the, the Father. He takes responsibility for that. The Holy Spirit does. He takes the lead. It's the Spirit's job to make our needs known before the Father at times like this. And maybe all we can say is, Abba Father. Maybe that's all we can say. But the Holy Spirit God can, will, and does make our and take our petition both before our Heavenly Father. And because your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba Father. You see, the indwelling, God sent Spirit of God that took abode in your heart and my heart at conversion, it negotiates, it collaborates, it cooperates. Uh, it consults with God crying, Abba, Father. You see, the work of God is not complete in the lives of believers as yet because we're not just like him yet. Now, the part that he saved is, amen, my soul that he saved, that's why to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because my soul will be with him. But this old body is a different thing. He's there to cry to, to make our relationship more personal, to make our reason more personal, where we can talk to him and we can speak to him and he hears and answers our prayer. You see, we have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Verse number 14 of the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because of that, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's those times when all you need to say is Abba Father. 
and he hears you and he answers your prayer. I don't know what it's going to take in the life of you that never have been in that situation. I don't know. I can tell you this. I remember sitting down five years ago, a little over five years ago now, sitting down in the urologist in the room waiting for him. And he comes in and me and my wife are sitting there. He comes in, pulls out his little roll-around stool and sits down in it. He's got two or three sheets of paper. And he hands, lays the paper on his legs and says, Mr. Ware, I want to tell you, we got three positives. He said, here they are. We got this one and this one and this one. And I'll not bore you with details. And so I've got, all of a sudden, I come to the conclusion because of this doctor that I have prostate cancer. What do you say? How do you pray? How do you get along before God and something like that? Only thing you can do is cry out my Father. All you can do is get that relationship that you have and, and He knows where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you need. And the thing about it is His ear is tentative to us. He listens for us to say, and he longs for us to come to him. He longs for you to come to him like that. With these problems that are, to us are so big, we, we, oh, what in the world do you do? My mind immediately goes back to seeing my dad walk, standing beside my dad as he took his, takes his last breath from prostate cancer. That's where my mind goes immediately back to that. I see, I see that. What do you say? No, not me. Uh, well, I'm no better than anybody else. What's wrong with me having prostate cancer? There's other people do it, better men than I am. My dad's a better man than I, than I am. I look back at that and I say, no, no. We're just going to trust God with this. You're just going to put him in his hand, put this in his hand. And you've had some people get hurt maybe in, or somebody in danger, maybe in and military, whatever. And you can't, you can't go there. You can't help. There's nothing you can do. I mean, it's completely out of your hands. Run to him. Run to him and say, oh, I'm a father. This is where I'm at. This is what I need. This is the situation I am. And if you can't even say it, we got the Holy Spirit in us. They'll tell him exactly what you need. Isn't it wonderful to have a relationship like that with God Almighty? Isn't it wonderful? I know it is for me.